You know, over the past few weeks, we've been in this sermon series entitled Discovering Your Story. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mark started us off by reminding us that God is the author of our story. He wants to be, continue to be the author of our life if we'll allow him. And God is writing this grand narrative, and he's invited you and I into this grand narrative that he's writing. And last week, we talked a bit about how God wants to transform us, how God wants to change us more, more than into just nice and good people, how God wants to change our lives and transform us into the people who he calls his. And this morning, we're talking about how our story continues to intersect God's story in terms of how we ought to live our life on a day-to-day basis. So could we take just a moment again and pray? Let's just invite God again to quiet our hearts. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we pray that as you've already begun to inhabit this place, that, Lord, you would quiet our hearts before you. That in these, few, in these next few moments, Lord, what we will hear is the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts amongst all the noise of our world. Lord, may we hear this morning just well more than the words of the preacher. May we hear from you today. May you speak to us about what it is that you want from us as we live our life and as we journey together with you. Lord, we know that you are the author. And Lord, we talked about last week how you want to transform us. But Lord, I don't believe the story stops there. So as we go today, Lord, would you speak? And Lord, would you get me out of the way today so that you might do the work that you want to do amongst your people today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've asked Kevin if he'll help me just bring up the house lights just a little bit this morning because I want to I, I do a little bit of audience participation before we dive too far in this morning. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to complete this sentence. I cannot wait until, let me give you the prompt one more time. I cannot wait until, what's your best answer? Let me get from somebody over here. I can't wait until, you'll have to yell really loud. It's hard to hear up here. (laughs) Shane, I don't know what to do with you, man. He's picking on the Texas fan, that's what he's doing. I can't wait until... So uh, Christmas, I get that one often. I can't wait until somebody over here. Baby's born. Baby's born. Yep, I hear that one. I can't wait until Bo gets married. I was waiting. I have the weddings always in there. Yeah. This time of year, I also usually hear, "I can't wait until vacation." Right. Some of you have already been. The rest of us are still waiting patiently. 
not so patiently. I can't wait until I get paid. I can't wait until I get that promotion. I can't wait until retirement. Anyone else feel that? I can't wait until I turn 18. Some of you in the room? Or 21. I can't wait until I finally finish school. Writing that last paper, turning it in, done. How about this one? I can't wait until I meet Mr. or Miss Wright. I can't wait until I get married. I can't wait until the baby's born. I can't wait until the baby walks and then talks. And then they turn 20, 18, and 15, and you're like, will they ever be quiet? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How about this one? I can't wait until the doctor finally figures out what's wrong. I can't wait until God finally answers that prayer we've been praying for. For a long time. I don't know what your moment of I can't wait for is. But if it was possible to survey the original hearers of our text this morning, they might say this to us. I can't wait to go home. I can't wait to go home. The the Scripture text for us this morning is from the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. And before we dive into that, I want to give you a little bit of history that really kind of sets the stage for us as we dive into that this morning. Jeremiah is born somewhere around the year 650 B.C. The nation of Israel is in a mess by this point. He grows up hearing stories about a man named Abram who God changes his name to Abraham along the way and makes him this grand promise about how he's going to bless Abraham and his descendants in such a way that they could be a blessing into the, to the entire world. But when Jeremiah shows up on the scene, that's not really how things feel in that moment. When Jeremiah shows up on the scene, things have gone disastrously wrong. He's grown up being taught, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. And yet what Jeremiah sees when he shows up on the scene, when he's born into this world, is things have gone horribly, horribly wrong. As a matter of fact, the country of Israel is now, years ago, before he was born, split into two countries. The northern country, who retained the name of Israel, and the southern country, who's given the name Judah, with their capital in Jerusalem. And and Jeremiah is born into this world, and he hears the story of how this kingdom split years ago, and how not a hundred years before he's born, Assyria came marching from the north and took over Israel. And half of the country, half of God's promise has been carried off. And something, God begins to do something in the heart of Jeremiah, and he raises him up to be a great preacher and a prophet. And he says to him, Jeremiah, this is the message I want you to carry to my people. I want you to, to, to remind them that God is doing something. God is bringing judgment upon the land of Israel. And you need to tell Judah, if they don't get this thing straight, if they don't get their hearts together, if they don't begin to follow me again and quit following all the gods of the country, it's going to happen to them too. 
And Jeremiah, for a lot of the book, for the first two-thirds of the book plus, begins to just call the people, come back, repent. God is wanting to do something with us. Please, come back, come back. But guess what happens? No one listens. And then, Jeremiah is a young man at this point, an adult. Something that he had been warning against happened. From the north, Babylon comes and takes over Syria and continues to march south and comes knocking at the door of Jerusalem, if you will. And it doesn't take long. This big, powerful Babylon just wipes out the armies of Judah. And Jerusalem is sacked and the king is carried off and lots of exiles, the smartest and the best amongst them, are carried off in the midst of this conquering to a place that they're not familiar with, with customs that they don't get, to a place where they're just unhappy to be. Can you get for a reason why the people of God might finish our sentence in this way? I can't wait until I can go home. Ever been there? I enjoy traveling. I enjoy going on vacation. But there's something within me that's just, man, I'd like to get home again. If you've got your copy of Scripture with you or it'll be on the screen behind us, would you turn over to Jeremiah 29 with me this morning? Let me read for us. Jeremiah 29, verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verse 4 and continue. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. This is the text of the letter of the prophet Jeremiah sent to Jerusalem, to the surviving elders among the exile, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Skipping to verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I've carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also the seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not let, I'm sorry, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promises and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on my name and come to pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart." I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I've carried you 
into exile. The best and the brightest find themselves in a strange land with strange customs, a strange language, strange food, unfamiliar surroundings, a culture that they don't completely get, and they don't like it there. They want to just go home for a moment. They, they just want to go back to the place they came from. And you know what? There are some within Babylon who are telling them, you know what? Just, just hang on a minute. God's almost there. He's almost going to get this done. Just one or two years, and then you'll be back home. Just, just hang with us. Just hang in there. But Jeremiah sends a letter to the prophet, or to the people who were carried into exile. And he says to them, this is not at all what God is saying. Can you imagine? Oh God, how, do, how long do we have to wait? How long do we have to live like this? How long is the punishment for our community? How long before we can just go home? I just want to go home. Lord, can you imagine when they got that letter? And in it, through the prophet Jeremiah, God says to them, build houses, settle down. Plant gardens and eat the produce. That means, hey, pay attention. You're going to be there a while. If you're going to plant gardens and you're going to eat the produce, you're going to be there a while. As a matter of fact, plan on marrying and having children and marrying off your children so that they can have children. Plan on being here a while, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a while. God is at work. Can you hear what that must have sounded like in their ears? Oh, really? I mean, why can't... God, we know that you are all-powerful. We've heard the stories. We know how capable of you are. God, why won't you just let us go home? Why? Seventy years. You know what? While you're there, don't just, don't just live your life. Don't just have children. You know what? While you're there, you should seek the prosperity and peace of the city to which I've carried you to. Get comfortable. If you want to live at peace, you better work for the peace of the community that you find yourself in. Get comfortable. You're going to be here a while. Seventy years. Think about that for a moment. Do you know what the average lifespan was around the book of First and Second Kings? That's about the time period where this falls. Average lifespan, 46 years. I got one year left. I turned 45 this year. Can you imagine? God says, you're going to be here 70 years. If you listen real closely to that, you know what God's saying? You won't ever come home. But you know what? I am faithful. I'm bigger than just your life. Your children will come home, and someday I will bring you back to a place where I have promised. A land flowing with milk and honey, God calls it. People of God living in a foreign world, away from everything they've known, away from people that they love. Not everybody was carried off into exile. 
Only the brightest, the smartest, the best were carried off into exile. And in that time, everyone else sort of stayed. Families were torn apart. But God says to his people in Babylon, get comfortable. You're going to be here a while. I will show up. I'll bring you back. I'll gather you from all the places that I've scattered you. Your family will come back. I am God. I promise these things. God says to them, I have a plan. Not to hurt you. Not to leave you in a foreign land. Not to make matters worse. Oh no, I have a plan for you. A place at the center of the redemption work that I'm doing. I want you a part of this story. And you will find me You'll find me. I want you to teach your children to love me. I know they're growing up in a foreign land and they're going to speak a language, but trust me, I know where they are. I know where I've carried you. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Teach those children my ways. For I have a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to gather you back to a home. And you will find me when you pray wholeheartedly and I will hear you. Can I take just a pause for a moment? Jeremiah 29, 11, while it may be one of the most quoted scriptures in all the Old Testament, it ranks right up there probably with John 3.16 in our modern culture. But set in this context, it doesn't quite feel like that little promise that we've all held on to. I don't think this is about us as individuals. I don't think it's about one person of the exiles. I think God is saying, I know a plan. I have a plan. You may not see it all just as Abraham didn't see it all. But I'm not going to fail. I'm going to bring your children back. And they will be a part of my salvation for the entire world feels a little different than how we often hear it, doesn't it? <clears throat> so can we just not focus on that this morning? Maybe our time's better spent realizing that this passage has some similarities to the world in which we live. I don't know about you, but every day, every year, I come back to this fact that this world isn't the same as the one I grew up in. I don't believe this is modern Israel, but I believe there's some similarities here. I believe that God wants to do something through his church. And where we're beginning to live, folks, is in a world that doesn't really know him. Have you noticed? In a culture that I don't think that they just dislike him. They just don't care. They don't get it. Why are all these crazy people going to this place on Sunday morning to do this thing? They sing some songs that nobody's ever heard of. Some guy gets up and talks. What is, what is all this about? I don't know. I don't know that I'd say we're living in Babylon, but I have to wonder if there's not some parallels here in our world to Jeremiah 29. 
33 years ago, Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon wrote a book they called Resident Aliens. It's a tag they use, a name they use for describing Christians living in this post-Constantinian, post-Christian America. And they say to us in that book that, listen, God is doing something, but you know what? The church in America needs to become the church, that part of what God wants to do is to call us out as his people to represent him in a world that really doesn't get him, that really doesn't understand him, that doesn't feel like God's very practical or necessary in our world. They say to us, God has called us to be resident aliens, to be people who live in this culture, who plant gardens, who go to work every day, who who show up, but are just a little bit different because what God has done in their life. Here's what they have to say. Let me give you a couple of paragraphs. The image that evokes this adventure for us, again, is found in Philippians 3.20. Our commonwealth is in heaven. Moffat more vividly translated this way. We are a colony of heaven, they write. The Jews in the dispersion, that's these Jews we've been talking about in Jeremiah 29, were well acquainted with what it means to live as strangers in a strange land. Aliens trying to stake out a living on someone else's turf. Jewish Christians have already learned in their day-to-day life in the synagogue how important it was for resident aliens to gather in the name of God, to tell the story, to sing Zion's songs in a land that didn't know Zion's God. A colony, the church is a beachhead, an outpost, an island of one culture in the middle of another, a place where values of home are reiterated and passed on to the young, a place where distinctive language and lifestyles of resident aliens are lovingly nurtured and reinforced. We believe that this designation of the church as a colony, as, a, as Christians, as resident aliens, is not too strong for the modern American church. Indeed, we believe it is the nature of the church at any time, in any situation, to be a colony. Perhaps it sounds a bit overly dramatic to describe the actual churches you know as colonies in the middle of an alien culture, but we believe that things have changed for the church residing in America and that the faithfulness of Christ demands that we either change or else go the way of the compromised forms of the Christian faith. The church is a colony, an island of one culture in the middle of another. Folks, I don't know whether you recognize it or not, but I believe we're resident aliens. I don't know if you follow me completely in that this morning, but I believe God is calling us in this culture that we live in to live a life that's a little bit different, that's a little bit outstanding, that's a little bit weird, dare I say, so that the world might know the God that we serve. This morning, the place we live, oh, we love it. 
We'll defend it. We'll wave flags tomorrow. We'll eat hot dogs and apple pie till the cows come home. We're going to do everything we can to, to make this place as comfortable for us. We're going to seek the peace of where we live. But the call upon our life as Christians in America in 2022 is to live a little bit differently so that the world sees us and wonders, what is it with these strange Christians? What are they doing? What if in a world where the culture doesn't know Jesus, they would look at us and say, I don't know about all the things these Christians believe, but I know one thing, the couple that I have working for me, they work harder than anybody else. Or they might say, I, I don't understand why they bow their head at lunch and pray, but I can tell you one thing, they are honest through and through, and if they say something, they're going to make it happen. What have they said to us? I, oh, their ethics, I don't completely get all of that, but what I do know is, man, they love their kids. And they show up at all the functions, and they're there, and they are good people. <clears throat> what if we actually live in a world that doesn't get us? Can I be honest with you? I was born not here in Arkansas, I was born in Texas, but this is our country. This is where we were born. But can I tell you, I'm convinced this morning where we live is just a stopover until ultimately we get to go home. I don't know what all that looks like. I don't know all that what home of heaven will look like. I don't know. I don't understand all of God bringing heaven to earth. I don't get all of that. I don't understand it all. But my, there's something within my heart that knows that where we live isn't the ultimate goal. Are you with me this morning? So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? I love what Howard Watson Willimon say. The church need not worry about whether to be in the world. The church's only concern is how to be in the world, in what form, and for what purpose. The question is not whether we're going to be in the world. We are in the world. The question is, are we going to be different enough from our culture that people see us as the people of God who live in some funny way, who live in some weird way, who honor God with every breath of our life? Or will they just be like, yeah, well, I knew that guy. He's a pretty good guy. He doesn't seem much different than him and the rest of the people I know. Eh, well, he's a little bit. He's a, good go he's a good guy. She's a good gal. I think one of the ways that God wants to intersect our story, I think one of the ways that, that God wants to form us in this grand story that he's writing is that he would have a people in the United States in 2022 that were just a little bit different from the culture, and the culture would be like, I don't know. I'm curious. <clears throat> Scripture says we should live such good lives that the pagans, that the world around us would notice and see our Father in heaven. Are we living that way? Is that what God's called us to? 
How do we do that? What does it look like? In just a moment, the worship team's going to come and we're going to be done. But I just want to say to you this morning, I just want to take a moment to ask, is our life different? Are we that island, that lighthouse? Are we that place in the middle of our culture? That stands firm. What would that look like if we lived like that? I don't know if you've ever encountered Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase, the, the message. But I think he gives us a pretty good idea of what that looks like. In Romans chapter 12, he says it this way. See, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Church, is that us this morning? Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize that what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Do you remember what God said through Jeremiah to the children of Israel scattered in Babylon? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You know what I think God's saying to us this morning? Go about your everyday life. Eat, drink, live, have children. The same sort of message that, that he sent to those exiles. Live life. Celebrate. Seek the peace of the nation. Do what you're supposed to. Just live life. Be happy. Enjoy yourselves. But don't be so well-adjusted. Don't be such a part of that culture that when people see you, they don't see any different. Stay tuned in. Stay plugged in. Pay attention. Don't fit in the culture so well without thinking that you just sort of do it. Instead, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. I don't know this morning all of what that looks like, but I think that's what we've gathered here to do this morning, isn't it? In the many, at the beginning of this week, we, we've gathered here just to say, God, here I am again, honoring what you've asked of me. Here's my heart. I lay everything down before you. Whatever it is you want from me this week, do it with me, in me, through me, to me, whatever it is, Lord. That's why we've gathered this morning. Because here's what I know. Our world, 
is looking for a place of safety, looking for a place that they can call home, looking for a place where they can experience a change in their life. But if we don't stay connected, we won't be that lighthouse on a dark and foggy night. If we're not careful, we just slip into our culture and we go about, and church just becomes one more thing that we do every week. It just becomes one more place we go on Sunday morning. Devotions just become one more routine. Prayer is just one more thing before we do a meal or before we lay our heads down at night. I believe God's calling us to much more than that. I'm not against those routines. They're probably good routines. But we have to stay plugged in. We have to stay engaged. I don't know. I think we're a little bit like those exiles scattered in a world that doesn't quite get God. We're to be a city on a hill. Light on very dark night. I think God's calling us, church. And this whole thing about discovering our story to discover again that he is calling us to be his people in a world that doesn't know him. So my question to you is this. The question I hope we all wrestle with this week is this. What does it take for me to stay connected so that in my life, in the people that I influence, in the world where I live, in my job, in my home, in the places that I interact with people. I just need to stay connected. What will it take for me to stay connected enough that what people will see is not me, but the God I serve? 